This is Smart Women, Smart Power, a podcast that features conversations with some of the world's most powerful women. The demand for us really comes from a place of we have expertise in, uh, you know, maritime, maritime law enforcement work, governance work, and we're, we're a preferred partner of choice. We come to you as you are. We won't mm-hmm. arrive and say, here, let me tell you how, how to get this done. We feature thought leaders at all career levels, where we explore, among other things, the many contributions that women make to the fields of international business, national security, foreign policy, and international development. Does having women in positions of power influence the outcomes of decisions in these fields? Why or why not? Join me, Dr. Kathleen McInnes, director of the Smart Women Smart Power Initiative at the Center for Strategic and International Studies for these incredible conversations. The Smart Women Smart Power Speaker Series is supported by City. On April 4th, Smart Women Smart Power hosted Admiral Linda Fagan, the 27th Commandant of the United States Coast Guard, and the first woman to lead any military branch of the armed forces. Together, we discuss the U.S. Coast Guard's growing presence beyond America's immediate maritime border and so much more. Hope you enjoy. Well, first, welcome back. Thank you were you. you were here on Smart Women Smart Power before my time here, two and a half years ago, and you were serving as the Pacific Area Commander. Yep, and you shared insights on Arctic security, um, the threat of illegal fishing to maritime security, challenges of managing the Coast Guard, and then COVID. Um, so we're so excited to have you back today as the Commandant of the Coast Guard. But before we get into the the substance, right? I would love to know what drew you into the field of national security? Yeah, so that's a, it's a great question. And I, uh, you know, I'm about 10 months now into the job as a, as commandant and uh, certainly perspective on the organization has continued to, to grow and, uh, and yeah. mature. But uh, as a young 18 year old, I uh, was looking for something different than what uh, my father was doing at the time. He was in HR for a large, uh, large Fortune 500 company. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were living in New England. Uh, my parents are Midwesterners. And when we when we moved to the Boston area, the agreement was that uh, dad got to get a boat. So uh, <laughs> we found that's how I grew up was sailing the New okay. England coast uh, weekends and summers. And the one of the original services, you know, revenue cutter service, life saving service, uh, foundational organizations to the modern Coast Guard are heavily invested in New England. And so anytime you're on the water, you see the Coast Guard. And I discovered the Coast Guard Academy as a sophomore in high school and, in fact, never, never looked back. I wow. only applied to two colleges with hindsight. I probably should have done that a little differently. <laughs> but, um, you know, but you I was, knew. <laughs> I, I knew. And yeah. uh, I was just I was drawn to the work. I was drawn to the service and uh, have had the great fortune of finding a calling and a profession and a and a way of life and sense of purpose that I, I did not anticipate as an as an eighteen year old. Over the course of your career, have there been any particular role models that have stood out to you and, and encouraged you to to, to continue service? Yeah, so you know there've been been several. We were we were talking uh, before uh, coming coming here uh, into the studio about about that Alan, who uh, I worked for as his executive assistant, and it was yeah. really. It was a transformational assignment for me. Just his his leadership, uh, the the lessons in sort of civics that uh, I oh, got uh, during during that assignment. Uh, but another individual who I didn't actually meet until later, who was very transformational uh, for me, was uh, was Owen Seiler, mm-hmm. and he was the fifteenth commandant. He 
made the decision in the you know late 1975 to integrate the Coast Guard Academy and all of the service academies uh, have women enter in 1976 mm-hmm. and then graduate in 1980. And so when I show up at the Coast Guard Academy in the summer of 1981, we had only just graduated women uh, the year before. Wow. And so I met him uh, several years later uh, at a building dedication. And it, But for his courage, I would not be sitting here today. But for creating that opportunity uh, for myself and other women. And I'm proud to say now the Coast Guard Academy is 45% women. This was not the Coast Guard Academy I experienced in the 80s, wow. uh, but it is a uh, just an incredible uh, place for, for men and women who are looking to serve serve the Coast Guard. That's incredible. Yeah. That's incredible. So um, t- turning to the, the Coast Guard's roles, missions, and, and areas of operations. We, you know, many people know the Coast Guard's critical role in protecting our nation's coastlines, mm-hmm. waterways, ports, um, property at sea. But the, but the Coast Guard continues to have a remarkable and growing presence um, beyond mer- um, America's immediate maritime borders. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd love your views on the factors that have led to that change and, and some of the ways that the Coast Guard continues to pivot to, to these missions that are well beyond America's shores. Yeah, so one one of the things that um, some do not sort of fully realize about the coast, we're, we're a maritime constabulary force. Mm-hmm. So uh, it is important to highlight that we are at all times a military service. Mm-hmm. We also have authorities as a law enforcement agency and a regulatory agency. Mm-hmm. And that mix of authorities uh, allows us to create capacity and capability truly global globally. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have Coast Guard uh, men and women uh, supporting every one of the, the geographic combatant commands, so truly serving uh, serving around the world. As you look at uh, the problem set, and you know, we spoke about uh, the Indo-Pacific region when I was uh, the Pacific Area Commander, and you know, you look at the challenges that small. Um, island nations, you know, maritime nations have in the region uh, mm-hmm. the lack of capacity to enforce their own economic uh, economic zones, their own sovereignty. And this is mm-hmm. this is work that's ready made for the for the Coast Guard. And so we, um, the demand for us really comes from a place of we have expertise in uh, you know maritime maritime law enforcement work, governance work. And we're, we're a preferred partner of choice. We come to you as you are. We won't mm-hmm. arrive and say, here, let me tell you how, how to get this done. We'll bring uh, the capacity and the expertise in a way that's professional, uh, that there's a, you know, a mature value proposition uh, there without strings attached. We really, truly want to help uh, other countries create their own uh, capacity and abilities. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll partner with you. We'll do bilaterals. We'll engage multilaterally. And uh, you, you, because we've got that trust relationship around mm-hmm. the world, people are hungry for, for more of us. Well, and, and when you think about great power competition, the, 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 the strategic competition, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. um, a lot of the activities that um, China in particular has been yeah. conducting have been in that um, in, in the, the maritime constabulary sort of space, yep. you know, um, 
activities that are strategic, but non-military in nature. And, and so the Coast Guard has been stepping up in, in these spaces. Yeah. yeah. So in the, so we talk about it in the context of in the gray space, right? In the competitive mm. space short of conflict. Yeah. And this is really the sweet spot for, uh, for the Coast Guard. You know, as I've traveled quite a bit over the last 10 months and engaged literally around the world with other navies and in mm-hmm. some cases coast guards many of the world's navies are actually postured uh in a way similar to the to the mm-hmm. US uh, coast guard so um you mentioned china i'll take you know illegal fishing is yeah. a is a perfect example you know uh iuu fishing illegal unregulated unreported fishing uh china is one of the worst uh, offenders this is theft mm-hmm. of a nation's uh, natural resources and so uh, helping a nation, one, create awareness around where that activity is occurring, and then capacity to enforce uh, their own their own sovereignty. And this is ready ready made work uh, for uh, for the Coast Guard. And whether it's with one of our our ships, large ships, in a ship rider, an expert from that country, or uh, again capacity building and training and engagement, uh, we're we're ready made for that kind of work. And and literally. Uh, do it around around the world, and so uh, it's certainly going on in the Pacific. But illegal fishing is a global a global yeah, threat. Is going yeah. on off the coast of Africa, in our own Gulf of Mexico, South and Central America. It's a uh, it is a global, truly a global problem. So a lot of the Coast Guard's mission is about building what in DoD land we'd call building partner capacity, right? mm-hmm. like the building the, this the actual security capacity of other um, maritime constabulary forces. Uh, as as you've engaged in and led in, um, and and now that you're the commandant, what lessons learned have you, or <laughs> lessons have you observed yeah. that that would al- will allow the Coast Guard to do that mission even more effectively? Yeah. So we do a really good job of coming to you where you are, and so if a yep. nation comes to us. And I, and I had this happen recently. Last week I was uh, speaking at a uh, international uh, maritime uh, course, and I was talking about bilaterals and uh, um, signing MOUs and things. And the first question I got wasn't a question the individual raised their hand and say, "Hey, how do I get a bilateral with you? I want to engage in a you know how do I mm-hmm. uh, have have this kind of uh, opportunity?" And so it. Um, you know, all of that, whether it's a bilateral, multilateral, regional forums, our competitive advantage, the, uh, you know, allies and partners, the competitive advantage is the partnership, is the engagement, is talking in times like now to how to, you know, how we counter uh, competition in a way that's aligned and complementary and not mm-hmm. each of us uh, conducting individual uh, individual efforts. I mean, yeah. truly uh, bringing that synergy together is uh, is is our competitive advantage, mm-hmm. and uh, we need to we need to continue to build and, and grow that. And, and doing it over time. Yeah, yes, like, in, a can, persistent in a persistent way, way. right? Yeah. So it um, again uh, traveling throughout the Pacific and engagement recently with twenty five African countries. It, this isn't about a big grand gesture. Yeah. And it, this is yeah. about, again, coming to you as you are in a way that's persistent and, and useful and uh, that builds trust right? mm-hmm. so that, uh, you know, other nations know they can they can lean on us, partner with us and mm-hmm. that that collaboration and impact will uh, will continue. 
you know, so one of the things that we do, we, we, we offer this international uh, maritime operators course. We've been running the course for 25 years. Mm-hmm. And uh, recently it was at an African security summit and there were over, there were about 15 people there who had graduated from the course over the past 21 years. And this speaks to persistence and how, mm-hmm. uh, how much impact that has. They were super proud of their time at the course. They all receiving, serving now in senior roles in their Coast Guards and Navies and said, we're absolutely better for that opportunity. That's fantastic. I mean, and we can't search trust overnight. No. Right? You just, no. Can't, you know, it's, you've got to be there over time. You absolutely have to be there over time. And it's just, you know, persistent, enduring uh, engagement mm-hmm. is what what builds trust. And, and you build trust in the, the times before the conflict happens. Right. right now is the time to be building building trust. Yes. Um, well, so turning to the Arctic, um, your very first assignment yeah. in the Coast Guard was aboard the Polar Star, a heavy polar icebreaker. Yeah. Um, so coming full circle, you're now at the, the head of your service um, and the geopolitical dynamics in the Arctic have changed a little bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just, just a little. Um, could you update us on how the Coast Guard is responding to the challenges in the Arctic and your vision for how the Coast Guard should operate in that environment in the future? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, so my first tour was on the Polar Star and uh, the ship was built in the mid-70s. Wow. And Polar Star is currently heading north. She was been in Antarctica uh, her 26th deep freeze. Wow. This is hard work on a ship. It's hard work on a crew, but, uh, she is still getting it done, uh, getting it done for the nation wow. and supporting that critical national security work, uh, in Antarctica to make sure that McMurdo station is resupplied. Um, mm-hmm. so I always like to start the answer to this particular uh, question with, we are an Arctic nation. Yeah. And we have, yeah. you know, economic interest, national sovereignty interest uh, within the Arctic as it pertains mm-hmm. to the, the coast of, of Alaska. And so the way you protect your own sovereignty is with presence. And so the polar security cutter, which will mm-hmm. be the replacement for Polar Star, we are uh, on budget. We're, we've, uh, the 24 budget gets us long lead time materials for a third polar security cutters. We... Uh, can't field those quick enough. Yep. Um, so having said that, shipbuilding is complicated. Uh, these are going to be uh, incredibly capable ships, but very uh, dense ships and will, will be a uh, challenge to build. Uh, but mm-hmm. we're, we're on contract for them. We're working detailed design. Uh, I'm really excited about what, what we will uh, be able to operate on behalf of the nation with regard to surface uh, icebreaking capacity. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also, in addition to the Polar Star, we have Healy, a medium uh, icebreaker who is able to operate in the Arctic as kind of a, mm-hmm. a mix of creating presence and doing uh, scientific uh, operations. But uh, we you know, ensure our own national security with actual on-the-water uh, presence in, in the Arctic, and uh, creating that, that capability is really front and center right now for us as a, as a service. We, um, mm-hmm. you, know, you talk about the changing geopolitics. Two winters ago, uh, because of COVID, the McMurdo mission did not happen. And so Polar Star had planned on going down there. So we sailed her north into the Arctic. Mm-hmm. She got up above the Arctic Circle. This is like late January. Not okay. normally our uh, time or the location for the ship. Yeah. And what was interesting, what we definitely got the attention of the Russians. They, yeah. they were checking because it was a different pattern of behavior for us. It was, it, yeah. All the engagements were professional. 
but uh, they were definitely like, what are you guys doing up here? This isn't normally uh, where you are. And so it just speaks to how critical it is to create, again, on the water capacity and presence for our own national security. And I just one one yeah. uh, segue here on the Arctic. We aren't the only Arctic nation. Right. And so back to allies and partners, we have key allies and partnerships around the other Arctic nations. And so mm-hmm. the Arctic Council, Arctic Coast Guard Forum, those become key uh, key engagement opportunities for like-minded nations to ensure that all of our interests are, are addressed in the high latitudes. Yeah. 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 Um, so speaking of, you know, sovereignty and, and, and how, you know, the, America's maritime missions. Um, in your State of the Coast Guard address last month, you emphasized that a key Coast Guard mission is protecting um, America's marine transportation system. Yes. Right. So as the national security strategy highlighted, commerce by sea sustains over 31 million jobs, yeah. brings 5.4 trillion to our economy each year, yeah. and 90% of America's imports and exports move by water. Yes. What vulnerabilities are you? That's a yeah, lot. That's, that's a is, lot. That's, that's yeah. you know. There's no getting around. That's a lot. What vulnerabilities are you worried about? I mean, how do you think about that mission? Yeah. So um, obviously, the the risk and how we think about that continues continues to evolve. I you know so 5.4 trillion. Right. What I like to point out to people is basically you know if you're wearing a pair of Nike sneaker, I mean most clothing, food, right? It is coming into the nation by water. It is critical to our economic prosperity. The very way of life that we enjoy in the country uh, is enabled by that uh, that maritime system. And it it is a system. It's a complex system. It includes, you know, the large container ships that you see, um, but the shoreside facilities, cranes, trains, there's all kinds of aspects to how that cargo uh, is moved. And so one, just ensuring that it's reliable, resilient, uh, that ships come and go safely. And so this is the aids to navigation work that we do. Uh, mm-hmm. We patrol, we do uh, ports and waterways security patrols with our small boats. We license mariners, we inspect ships, we engage with regulated facilities, all critical work the Coast Guard is doing. Mm-hmm. The, the area where we've seen the most uh, evolution is around cyber and cyber risk oh, in, the, uh, in the marine transportation system. Uh, that, you know, there's SCADA, there's, there's control systems that are talking to the internet, uh, mm-hmm. components, cranes that, uh, have been bought overseas mm-hmm. may have, uh, you know, components from countries that could potentially have malign intent. And so ensuring that the cyber readiness of the system is adequate is a role that the, the Coast Guard is engaged in. And, uh, you know, we work with, we work regularly with industry on, uh, on exactly that, we have mm-hmm. stood up a cyber specialty rating within the Coast Guard to oh, just, okay. ensure our own uh, expertise and then uh, are hiring uh, individuals who know cyber, but also understand the marine transportation system to help uh, sort of bridge that conversation again mm-hmm. in a way that's that's helpful to industry and helps illuminate where the evolving risk is. Mm-hmm. So um, across the national security domain and discourse, you know, Climate change impacts are 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 changing the nature of threats, or at least intersecting with with the the different threats, um, and changing how companies and military services operate. Um, how is climate change affecting the Coast Guard missions, and and how is the Coast Guard preparing to be ready for these dynamics? I mean, 
hurt, you know, you see the hurricanes yeah, on the coast, the, 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 and the coastlines. It's just, yeah. So we um, <laughs> small question, yeah, little question. Climate, yeah. So we, we've recently published a climate framework yeah. uh, to help focus uh, our efforts with regard to you know our missions, our infrastructure, our people, with a focus on increased uh, resiliency. The, um, you know, wherever you are in the science, science, climate is changing and, yeah. uh, you know, the intensifying of uh, storms and that, you know, puts uh, people, infrastructure, missions at, uh, at risk. So we are a maritime organization, which means that uh, we have a lot of uh, infrastructure uh, right at the water's edge, literally, yeah. and we'll need to continue uh, to do that. And so as we make investments uh, in the infrastructures, we build new piers, as we look at repairing damaged stations post-hurricane, doing that in a way that increases resiliency mm-hmm. uh, with anticipated continued change around, uh, around, around climate. And so it's this literally the, that impact affects all aspects of the organization and getting the you know, sort of the business rules and processes to, to ensure that we're considering that as we're as we're making longer term investments and ensuring our own people mm-hmm. are uh, you know sort of have have the tools and the resiliency to understand it um, not you know for themselves and their personal lives as well as for the uh, operational aspects of the uh, of the organization. If I could um, tease that out a little bit further, um, yeah, the, the the term being bandied about right now is is poly crises, you know, <laughs> multiple simultaneous crises, yeah. and um, a, a climate change is often a driver for those discussions. Yeah. But how is the Coast Guard thinking about m- managing multiple simultaneous crises? Yeah, so one of our roles, and you know, again from a um, sort of leadership and a uh, culture standpoint. So we, we are a response agency as well. Uh, yeah. we, we were talking about deep water, which I think we're coming up on 13, 13 years since uh, the, the deep water spill happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, uh, we have a crisis leadership expertise. And so whether it's a large oil spill or it's the aftermath of a, of a hurricane, we invest and train in that, that expertise. And so mm-hmm. um, we are, in a hurricane response, we're really good about, you know, if you're in peril in the immediate aftermath of the storm, that is our uh, expertise. We will we will get in, save lives. And then uh, as the rest of the state and federal response entities uh, gear up, we, we fold ourselves into that response network and are, and are uh, important and relevant uh, to that. And so the way the Coast Guard is postured operationally, we have uh, units literally all along uh, all the entirety of our coast and with a command structure so that if you had a significant event on the West Coast and a hurricane in the East Coast, uh, we easily surge, surge into that, uh, into that op- opportunity and, uh, yeah. and move, move yeah. resources as we, as we need to. And that's not to say if it gets really big <laughs> and we have a lot of events so that we won't find it challenging to create that, uh, that capacity and readiness. But, uh, but it's sort of, it, it's sort of baked into the, it is baked into the DNA of the organization that yeah. we will, uh, we, you know, we are, we're in the life-saving business. We we're in, and, uh, we have a very, uh, we talk about on-scene initiative mm-hmm. and, um, you know, sort of unity of effort is you won't, when you talk to coasties, when we talk about, C2, you know, we do have a military command and control structure, but it's more about communicating, collaborating, coordinating, and how you do that in the aftermath of an event. Um, we will never come in and say who's in charge. We come in and say, how can we be helpful? Yeah. Well, 
Turning to recruitment and retention, because that's been a big topic across the services. Um, what, in your view, is the Coast Guard's value proposition when it comes to Gen Z? Yeah. We're all trying to, fi- trying to figure out how to crack that nut, I suppose. And gener- soon generation alpha. How are you thinking about communicating yeah. the value proposition? So um, I've been been very uh, public and open with regard to the recruiting challenge in front of the service. Uh it is not unique to the Coast Guard. This is uh, the current generation. Uh, we all need to inspire them to service. And, uh, you know, just one communicating, one about just how incredible the Coast Guard is. And we are hiring, by the way, anybody listening. We're a great, <laughs> we're a great organization. We'll, we'll uh, bumper sticker there. Um, but uh, one of the things I think we need to talk about more is... Um, the, the value proposition of uh, sense of purpose, um, camaraderie, uh, meaning, work that's valued, and the, the work team experience that you have in an organization like the Coast Guard, it truly is priceless. Mm-hmm. It's not something that you pay people. But when, when people find the service, I was a mentor at a boot camp company just a couple of weeks ago. They were, they were two weeks in. It's one of the hardest places to be as you enter the organization. They had a sense of purpose. They knew why they joined. They were in and were planning on staying for 20 years. Wow. And at their graduation, their parents, you know, my generation was all there. And they were like, some of them in uniform, other services. So we, this sense of family and belonging, we've never experienced this uh, in, in our uh, services. Uh, and the point I made to them was, this isn't unique here at this, this entry point. This is what your sons and daughters will find. Uh, yeah. everywhere around the Coast Guard. So so back to that, how do you, you know, where do you find Gen Z? One of the mm-hmm. things we're, we're doing is uh, as we advertise and look to increase awareness around recruiting, you know, we're going to places like Twitch, the online gaming site, where mm-hmm. uh, the the uh, youth are that we're, we're looking to bring uh, bring into the service. It's not, you know, you can't do the big uh, big splashy ads on, uh, you know, at the Super Bowl. It's we we're, we're really focusing uh, into into where that generation is. But uh, this is this is a national security yeah. issue for the country, Definitely. and uh, you know we're feeling it along with the other other services. Well, uniquely, the changes you are inspiring and driving within your service have a direct impact on your daughter, who is following in your footsteps, um, uh, currently serving as a lieutenant. In the Coast Guard? Yes. Um, how does how does that family dynamic impact your thinking yeah. on workforce development and 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 command climate yeah. and and yeah? The so um, my my daughter she uh, she graduated from the Coast Guard Academy in 2016. Uh, there are days where she's like, oh, this is really cool. Mom's the commandant. And then there are days she's like, I need to change my last name. I'm like, <laughs> not sure how I feel about this. Uh, and she's assigned to Coast Guard headquarters. So in fact, I'll probably see her when we go back uh, over there uh, later. But for me, and I, I shared this with this uh, boot camp uh, company and, and their parents a few weeks ago, it, I, what I want for their sons and daughters is mm-hmm. the same thing that I want for mine, which is meaningful work, where you're safe, you're valued, and you're contributing uh, to something that um, you know is is worth worthwhile. Mm-hmm. And it's not a lot more complex than that. So that, you know, there's a cultural component to it, there's a resourcing component to it. But um, you know, I I want my daughter to be fulfilled and have a sense of camaraderie and an esprit de corps, and that's mm-hmm. what I want for the entirety 
of the uh, of the workforce. She entered the Coast Guard very different than the Coast Guard that I entered, and yeah. the, and we continue. Uh, to move forward as an organization. And as I shared, the Coast Guard Academy is 45% women. I, that's it just the other, the other services are envious of, uh, of, of that for us. Mm-hmm. And, you know, diverse work teams matter. Diverse work teams outperform uh, non-diverse work teams. And so this, you know, is also about, you know, readiness and resiliency of, and the, of the force and effectiveness yeah. and perspective. And, uh, you know, when I use the term diversity, I use it as broadly as possible. This isn't, it's not gender, it's not just gender and ethnicity. Mm-hmm. It's everything that makes each of us different and unique because it brings, it brings strength and, and resiliency to the, to the team in a really key way. Mm-hmm. So, uh, wrapping up our conversation, um, smart rooms are power. I'd like to know your thoughts on whether you feel, you know, being a woman has, impacted your leadership style and the decisions yeah. that you've taken? If so, why? If yeah. not, why not? Yeah. So, you know, I've, uh, the number of times that I've come out of a meeting, this this isn't unique to now, this has been happening for years. You come out of a meeting and you're talking to a male counterpart and offer a perspective and they'll offer a perspective. And I think, I like, were we even in the same room? <laughs> Right? It was so yeah. different what they took out of the uh, out of the meeting, and so for me, it just it just highlights how critical it is that we bring uh, that differing uh, differing perspective uh, in into the room. And uh, I, you know, I do not have all the answers at this point, and so I lean heavily on a team of advisors uh, who bring that perspective and and uh, strength and and opportunity into. Uh, Equation and so I, you know, for me, I just try and create the environment where mm-hmm. people feel safe and valued and have a voice. You're in the room for a reason, yeah. so you know, be empowered to share that perspective. Don't don't presume that I've I've got the same perspective. And uh, it's really been a uh, it's it is a privilege uh, leading this organization and advocating for the incredible workforce that is the United States Coast Guard. Well, thank you, Emma, for sharing your thoughts on the Coast Guard, its global missions, um, and how you are helping people ensure their voices are heard. That is so critically important for any organization, and that that that, that matters so much for recruitment and retention. Yep. So thank you so much for thank joining you. us. Subscribe to the Smart Women, Smart Power podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to great content. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Smart Women, or you can follow me on Twitter at KJ McInnes One. Thanks for listening and join us next time. The Smart Women, Smart Power Speaker Series is supported by City.